They said it was forbidden. They said it was dangerous. They were right. Introducing the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual. Dive into the arcane, into the hidden corners of the occult. This isn't just a comic. It's a hidden tome of supernatural power. All original artwork illustrating the groundbreaking research of Juan Ayala, one of the only living homunculologists of our time. Learn how to summon your own homunculus, an enigma wrapped in the fabric of reality itself, their power at your fingertips, their existence, your secret. Explore the mysteries of the Aristotelian, the spiritual, the Paracelsian, the Crowleyan homunculus, ancient knowledge lost to time, now unearthed in this forbidden tale. This comic book holds truths not meant for the light of day, knowledge that was buried, feared, and shunned. Are you ready to uncover the hidden, the paranoid American homunculus owner's manual, not for the faint of heart, available now from Paranoid American. Get your copy at tjojp.com or paranoidamerican.com today. of the Juan on Juan podcast. I'm your host, Juan. I just got done talking to Dr. Joseph Lumpkin. Joseph is the CEO and founder of Fifth Estate Publishing, and he has written over 25 books on the subjects of theology, religion, church history, the lost books of the Bible. Joseph also has a background in research and development within the U.S. Department of Defense. He's worked on projects including hypersonic missile technology and supercomputer clustering. In addition to his background, he uh, has a doctorate in ministry and has acted as a chaplain to several family outreach programs. Awesome individual. And on this episode, we talk about one of my favorite, favorite subjects. Uh, this is uh, demonology, angelology, uh, you know, these non-canonical heretical scriptures scriptures, literature, whatever you want to call it, that really just break the world down. And it just fascinates me, uh, you know, all the the history that you can pull from that. And it just really makes you think, you know, all, all of this ties in with my research in the realm of Gnosticism, uh, you know, ancient civilizations, ancient aliens, whatever you want to call it, the Anunnaki, what I would consider the juice this was definitely definitely an impromptu show i don't want to say i was ill-prepared but i was ill-prepared and when i talked to somebody such as uh dr joseph lumpkin who's an expert what i would consider an expert in the realm of all this i like to be prepared i like to ask the right questions and unfortunately uh, we were going to push this show back further till next week but Life happens and uh, things go on. So we decided to last minute just jump right in and sort of wing it. 
you know, I had some questions done, but I, I felt my, I feel my knowledge is, is enough to, to entice a good conversation and, you know, get an episode out of it. But folks, this is the beginning. This is the tip of the iceberg. Uh, you know, what we talk about, it, it goes so much deeper than what we discuss in this episode. This is like a crash course in Anaki in uh, literature, uh, you know, the lost books of the Bible, whatever you want to call it. Uh, so just keep that in mind. And hopefully in the future, we will have Dr. Joseph on again to be able to discuss this further, you know, the origins of evil and all, all this good stuff that I love. And today we talk about all of that and, and some. So without further ado, this is Lost Books of the Bible, Enoch, Fallen Angels, the Nephilim, and the Watchers with Dr. Joseph Lumpkin. Okay, we are live, Joseph. Thank you for coming on the show and welcome. Thank you very much, Juan. Good to be here. So uh, this is a bit of an impromptu show. Uh, <laughs> when I first, uh, you know, look into a topic, my podcast is having uh, topics which I'm interested in, things that I like to talk about, uh, obviously, because it's my podcast. So I like to understand the material at hand, and I like to be able to comprehend it for myself. Obviously, I'm going to learn from you today. I'm going to be asking you questions, and we're going to go back and forth. But I always like to have uh, a a level of comprehension. Obviously, you know, I'm not going to go in blindly. And uh, so, I always ask this question to people who come on the podcast. Sort of sets the tone. Um, it'll be the first question I'll be asking you: Who is Dr. Joseph Lumpkin? Oh, I have no idea. I reinvent myself every decade or two. Otherwise, I get bored with me. <laughs> uh, this particular journey began when I was working for the Department of Defense as an analyst, and I was also going through a doctoral program in theology, and I came across a particular quote in Jude stating that he would come back with ten thousands of his saints. Now, I need to say to everyone out there, if you are going through theology school, if you are in seminary, you are usually indoctrinated more than you are educated. So uh, as a good Baptist boy, I ran across this uh, quote that said he'll come back with 10,000s of his saints. Please see one E-N, which I had never heard of. And I looked it up and it was first Enoch. And I thought, well, if it's quoted in the Bible, I should probably look into this thing. And uh, when I read it, I came back home and I told my wife, I said, this is one horrible translation. I believe I can do better. And that's what began this journey, which is now about uh, 12 years in, and we've uh, published countless books, uh, starting with one, two, and three, Enoch and Jasher and Jubilees. And we've gone on from there to Lost Books of the Bible. So Juan, that's who I am today. Uh, before we dive any deeper, Joseph, where can people find your work? Uh, I know you run a publishing company. Correct me if I'm wrong. And uh, uh, where can people find your work? Oh, it's best just to find it on Amazon. It would be good. But uh, we have a couple of websites. Uh, if you want to, to look specifically, there's a, a website called apocryphalbooks.org. 
and that would probably be the best website. There's also one called fifthestatepub.com, and they tie together, but you'll you'll see a slightly different look on each one of them. Cool, cool. Yeah, and again, this is this is a lot of heretical and non-canonical ancient literature. Uh, so. Obviously, you were going and doing your doctorate's uh, 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 program, and you saw that in the Bible it quoted a non-canonical text. So would you say that got you started in the study of this uh, non-canonical ancient literature, uh, these heretical texts? Because before the show, you know, we were chatting, and I told you that, you know, that's one of my problems with uh, religion, because obviously there's monetary gain behind it, and... Uh, you know, why do you think that is, Joseph, you know, from a person obviously who studied this? Why do you think there is, you know, obviously who decided what was canonical and non-canonical? Well, <clears throat> to the victors go the spoils, right? So yeah. uh, we have two things going on at the same time. We have a, a community of, uh, of Jews uh, that are, and this is, this is very, this is like pre Let's call it pre-Pauline, okay? So uh, they they have certain books that they're passing around, and uh, and that community gets fairly uh, familiar with certain books, and then Paul comes in and he writes, and they get familiar with those books, and so what's familiar with the community uh, becomes uh, uh, becomes canon. But there's another thing going on, and that is that. Uh, uh, the church is being converted from a grassroots organization of, let's call it a uh, horizontal uh, uh, organization to a vertical organization where the power is flowing up to the priests and the popes and all of that. So in that period of time, when you are in the majority, if you are leading the uh uh, the organization which is becoming Christianity, you get to choose what you believe. And the choice is, uh, a lot of it is based on culling everything that is opposed to your belief. So canon is, uh, is established by basically two mechanisms. Uh, number one is what's familiar within your organization and the other is what is opposed to the beliefs of your organization, and uh, and so those you call, and and that I believe is is a very thumbnail sketch of how we got to where we are today. And the problem is that Christianity is not Christianity worldwide, and I know that's going to disturb a lot of your Westernized, uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> of, you know, uh, listen listeners, but. Um, we have 66 books in our canon as Protestants. There's another 14 if you're believing in the Apocrypha and you're part of the Orthodox or Catholic churches. But one of the oldest Christianities in the world is the Ethiopic church. There's a saying that everything flows down the Nile, and that's exactly what happened to Ethiopia. It received uh, things coming from Egypt pretty much directly in, in that area. We ended up with 81 books, 81 books in their canon. Now, who are we as younger 
Christians as younger church denominations to say that one of the oldest is incorrect. Do you, do you really believe that God is saying less and less through time? I, I believe probably not. He's probably saying more and more. So when I, when I got to a point in Enoch that I understood that it was actually canon in one of the oldest churches in the world, it really stopped me in the, my tracks. And, uh, and I began looking at canon from a different point of view. Yeah, uh, this is what fascinates me. And again, what we talked about before we came on the show, uh, the heresy, the the heretical texts, a lot of them, you know, obviously you have the Gnostic texts, which some flip everything on its head. And uh, what you mentioned earlier about the structure, this restructuring of the church, uh, obviously it is a uh, a brokered experience. And then you had the... You know, like you said, they have to go in and, and, and uh, make everything before them that doesn't fit the narrative invalid, uh, you know, null everything out. Uh, it's just like what happened with the Gnostics. Um, you know, they believed that divinity was within us. But now, to, in order to find divinity, you have to go through the church. You have to go through them. And it's a brokered experience. Yes, um, it, it, <laughs> that's very good. Brokered experience. I love that. That. And it does put everything in context, doesn't it? Because if God is in you and uh, around you, as the book of Thomas says, mm -hmm. what good are priests and popes and bishops? Exactly. Uh, so if, if you are wanting to control the uh, gates of heaven and have entry fees paid, you don't want to be a Gnostic. You, you want to quash that. Um, but the Gnostics... They answered a question that people were asking at the time and still are. Why does bad things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Why do evil people prosper? Why is there chaos and disease in the world? And they answered that question very, very well. Um, it, you know, it, it, it exists because the maker of this world was himself evil and, uh, and broken. And so here we are with an infrastructure of the world, evil and broken. And uh, so the Gnostics, uh, knowing that religion tries to answer the deeper questions, I, I honestly think that some of the Gnostic uh, doctrine answers some questions much better and more straightforward than, uh, than, than some of the... Uh, you know, it's God's will that a baby dies. I, you know, you just, you have trouble buying that. I agree. I agree. Uh, you know, uh, they answered a lot of things. And one of the things that blows my mind is that they were in a way able to answer the question of, of, of how we came to be, because, you know, one of the, uh, I'm not sure the exact text. I think it's the Apocrypha of John or something like that, where the disciples ask him, you know, how does it end? And Jesus says, have you already forsaken the beginning? You know, the ending is where the beginning is. So in order to understand the ending, you have to understand the beginning. And they explain that, you know, the, the, the thinking came first, then the thought, then you have the child, you know, a thought thinking of itself, something, something like that. Uh, you know, the, the Trinity, um, and then you have the one, obviously, and I feel that they—that's what quantum physics now is trying to correlate 
you know, the consciousness with the with the physical world and how our our thoughts have power in the physical world. And I feel like they sort of uh, got that concept from the very beginning by saying that, you know, that the first thing was the thought, you know, that and that's how we came into existence. Yes. Um, um, there's a saying that when science ascends to the pinnacle of the mountain, they'll find religion there waiting for them. Mm hmm. Yeah, so uh, the Apocryphon of John also is a very odd book because it breaks down the actual manufacturing of man <laughs> into different pieces, which looks a whole lot like who programmed what strand of DNA. This particular one uh, manufactured the skin, this other one the sinew, this one the bones, that one the left hand and the right hand, so on and so forth. And it, it, it breaks mankind down into... Uh, kind of a shopping cart of who made what piece it's very very different i agree um today we're gonna break down obviously what i told you um and we'll get into that because this is something that i love uh you know theology fascinates me uh today we're going to talk about enoch fallen angels the nephilim and the watchers and then i know you've written uh uh I think you wrote a book. It was called The Origins of Evil. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yes, that's correct. Um, which also interests me, you know, the, the demonology and how uh, in the book of Enoch, uh, you know, we essentially have the the origins of, of demons. You know, how you said, uh, I was listening to your other material about how the body can be destroyed, but the energy and that spirit cannot. And that's how we have demons nowadays. Um so to begin, who was Enoch? Um, and then you have Enochian literature, and uh, obviously Enoch, one of the most uh, fascinating characters, um, you know, in Christianity because he was taken up with God. Probably the, was he the only person that was taken up with God without dying? Correct me if I'm wrong. No, no, you uh, you had um, Ezekiel taken up in uh, in a chariot, but. Uh... This is the only. This is the only time that the Bible says that uh, uh, a man walked with God and was not. In other words, mm. he, was, he was disappeared. He was translated, uh, much apparently like Jesus was translated on the Mount of uh, Transfiguration. Uh, he uh, he ascended, and uh, one that that particular problem. <laughs> stuck in the craw of Jews. It, it's the reason that we have second and third Enoch. They could not get their head around why anything that was corporeal could walk with God because in, in their theology at the time, at the time, uh, you, you had this chasm uh, between uh, what is corporeal, fleshly, earthly, and what is heavenly, and, and the, uh, they, they could not intermingle. The, uh, the glory of God was such that uh, his divinity could not mingle with, uh, with man directly. And, uh, and so we, you know, we have, well, let me just put it this way. A lot of our literature is based on people trying to answer questions that really bothered them theologically, whether they should have bothered them or not. It's a different question, but... Uh, for example, the uh, the Enochian literature has Enoch ascending into a state uh, of an angel. Right, he 
is Metatron at the end of the of the storyline. And, and that was because the Jews could not let go of the fact that this man was walking around in heaven. And it just it just did not fit with with their uh, with their theology. So much so that in one of the Enochian books, Third Enoch, I believe, uh, the angels are purportedly telling God, what is the smell of human semen I smell in heaven? Now, that's, it gets pretty, when you, when, you read, when you read the story and you actually put flesh and blood on it, it gets really interesting and a little gross because they were so, the angels are so grossed out by the fact that they can smell humans and they can smell the seed of humans uh, in, in heaven that God changes him to, into Metatron and makes them worship him as the lesser Yahweh. Really? So that's uh, the people don't, they don't usually read third Enoch. Yeah. Well, uh, before you go on, uh, Joseph, they, they, the first book, they say that he didn't write the second and the third. That's correct. Uh, that's correct. You know, the, uh, that there's a discrepancy there because it gets crazy. It's like you said, it gets crazier. <laughs> the second, the first one is already crazy. Then yeah. you have the second one that gets crazier, and then the third one is like, uh, okay. And you know, even in the Bible, uh, it's a lot more interesting than people uh, give it credit to be. And and again, this is why it interests me. And um, but yeah, go on. That's uh, it's very interesting. I've only. Uh, read the first one so well most people have because that's actually the one that's canonical and and it's closer to our scripture and in, it informs our angelology and demonology oh, like right. you said uh but the second and third one they're like uh sequels and uh sometimes rather bad sequels but sequels nonetheless because they're carrying the story forward and trying to uh uh answer questions that is raised uh that are raised within their theology now you you ask who enoch is and i guess the short answer is um adam beget seth beget enosh beget kenan beget methuselah beget jared and in the days of jared the watchers arrived and then uh jared beget enoch and in, in the days of enoch we learned to read and write, which really ticked God off. He thought that was the worst sin, was the fact that we could read and write, and therefore we could carry our sins forward. Interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Um, Joseph, here's the thing. <laughs> the more I look into uh, the Gnostics and these ancient texts, you know, <clears throat> Some of these uh, Gnostics had the the idea that the Old Testament was a uh, was of demonic origins, and the more I look into it, what you just said now about he was he was angry that they were writing, he was angry that they were uh, learning uh, in the Garden of Eden when the snake comes out and says, "Listen." Uh, eat from again. Uh, I might I might begin this wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong because I have so many things in my head. Uh, you know, eat from the from the tree of knowledge. Don't eat for, uh, and and Yahweh, the other guy, uh, I believe it's an eagle or something like that, uh, was telling him to eat from the from the tree of of life. Uh, you know, the Gnostics believe that Yahweh 
obviously Yalta Boath and, and this demon, Satan, whatever you want to call it, the creator of all the universe. He wanted us to live and eat from the tree of life because they wanted us to live the life that they wanted, that him and the archons created. And then if you would have ate from the tree of knowledge, you would know what created you and who created you and you would find that divinity within you through gnosis and it's it, it's very it's it's fascinating it's fascinating you know um and like you said now he, he was mad because we were learning to to read and write you know i wonder yeah. why <laughs> well, it does bounce back and forth between uh what what is uh mainline christianity especially in the ethiopic christian church which is more mystical all the Eastern churches are more mystical than the Western. It, it bounces back and forth between that and, and Gnosticism. Uh, as you said, uh, Yahweh and Yaldabaoth are, are um, according to the Gnostics, the same mm -hmm. uh, serpent beast and uh, the same creator. Um, boy, where was I going with this? The, uh, the They're learning to read and write and that angered uh, Yahweh or... or... So they wanted us to live forever, but you know, they wanted us to live forever in ignorance. They wanted yeah. us to, you know, eat from the tree of, of life, and uh, but not the tree of knowledge. Uh, live forever, but live in ignorance under our thumb. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that's, uh, again, that, that fascinates me. And then... Um, so Enoch, and correct me if I'm wrong, was uh, Noah's great-great-grandfather? Um, great-great-grandfather. Um, yeah, well, great. Like it goes Noah, um, um, Lamech, and then, I'm sorry, it goes Enoch, Lamech, Noah, I believe. Yeah, because uh, that, 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 and then Noah, obviously, Atrahasis, and then you have all these other uh, texts that, you know, you got the pre diluvian and then the post diluvian. Wow. Um, we'll yeah. get into that. Um, but, you know, obviously, he was uh, a grandfather, he was family to him. Mm -hmm. um, so, Enoch, obviously, this person that went up to heaven and, uh, the angels even brought him down and, and showed him um, everything that was going on in the world. And then uh, a lot of dark stuff, uh, you know, the, the world was, was full of, of evil. You know, it talks about there was pedophiles and that there was demons and all this stuff on earth. Um, what so, are, go ahead. No, well, I was going to say uh, when, when they descended on Mount Hermon, there were 200 of them. There were 20 uh, groups of 10. These One are the fallen the, angels, uh, Joseph? Yeah, yes, I'm sorry, the fallen angels, the watchers, yeah. Which I, I guess we should we should kind of tie this together real quick because yeah. uh, <laughs> there's, there's a lot of stuff going on that people kind of uh, uh, con uh, they, they kind of um, combine them in, in ways that are not true. So, so uh, Mount Hermon, uh, the days of Jared, uh, they come down and there's uh, 200 of them. And they're in these uh, cases of, of 10, uh, uh, 20 leaders, 10 companies each. One of them is uh, Azazel, 
and uh, or Azazel, or however you want to pronounce it. I've heard it several ways. And to him, for some reason, they they are um, God is very angry with him. He, he ascribes all sin to him. Now it's interesting to me that that name appears again in Leviticus in a very very odd text that says you're going to choose two goats one the scapegoat uh, well one will be for god and that's the sacrifice the other goat will be for azazel or azazel so even back in the days of leviticus far beyond where uh enoch started and jared started this demon had made such an impact on people that they were actually still sacrificing to it. And so in the middle of the Bible, in the Old Testament, you have this command that you will take a goat and you'll sacrifice it to God. Then you'll take the other goat and you'll lay hands on it, impart all the sins of the people, send it out, make sure it doesn't come back, send it over a cliff if you can, and that goat is Azazel's. Really? <laughs> and this is one of the fallen angels, one of the yes, leaders. This is, this is one of the watchers. This is one of the fallen angels. And he is actually, uh, according to some sources, the father of Gilgamesh. Really? This is, in the, and again, so, so you would say the fallen angels and the watchers are the same? Uh, yes, the fallen angels and watchers, in the way that I understand it, are the same, which are not the same as the Nephilim, the Elio, or the giants. So the watchers came down. There, there are three falls in, in the storyline. There's the fall of mankind. There's the fall of the angels first, the, the, the heavenly host of angels, a third of the angels, and, of course, uh, uh, Lucifer. There's the fall of mankind, and there's the fall of the watchers. So this is the third fall we're talking about. So the watchers came down. They they uh, left their heavenly homes. They forsook their uh, first estate, it says, and they took women uh, as they wished. And uh, they gave birth, according to the books of Jasher, Jubilee, and Enoch, if you put all these things together, they gave birth to three different subspecies, the uh, giants, the Nephilim, and the Elio. Now, the only thing that we can say about the Elio is it looks like that word means godling. Godling. Think about that. That's, that's Achilles, Hercules, mm. all of these, all of these uh, <laughs> People that, that we look at in, uh, in Greek and Roman literature, I think they were the Elio. Uh, you know, could be wrong. Everything in my head could be wrong. It's an opinion, right? Half God, half human, demigod type thing. Precisely. Uh, precisely. And this is actually outlined if you, lead, if you read Jasher's Jubilee and the first book of Enoch together. You'll go, oh my God, this stuff... It dovetails. Well, it happens that the book of Jubilees and the book of Enoch are both canon in the Ethiopic Christian church. Those guys knew things that we threw away. 
or that we chose to ignore. Yes. <laughs> because we'll say that uh, the book wasn't available at the time. And, and you, know, you could make that uh, argument that it was lost to the Western church. Now, when it was first discovered in 1773 by James Bruce, who went to uh, Ethiopia to kind of uncover it, everybody said, oh, this is a knockoff. I mean, look at this. It quotes, uh, you know, it quotes uh, Jude. It references Peter. It, you know, it, it references the books of Jesus. It's obvious that this is a fake, you know, fake news, fake news. Well, 1946, when the two Bedouin gentlemen were chasing their goat and they picked up a rock and threw it into the caves of Qumran near Nagamadi, and it broke the uh, vase and they went up there, they, they found when that began to get excavated, literally dozens of pieces of Enoch, which dated back to uh, about, you know, between 150 and 300 BC, long before Jude and uh, and Peter were even conceived, and uh, yeah, confirming confirming its legit uh, legitimacy. Yes, and it turned everything on its head, everything. We and we are still finding it. I, I was called to do an interview uh, in LA a few months ago because I'm one of the uh, few people around that they could get in touch with that understood. Uh, um, infrared thermography and uh, spectral analysis on, and, and of course the text. And what we're finding is uh, some of these, these uh, codices that are written on uh, animal skins uh, have been used several times. And if, if you had a, uh, a, a codex of let's say Thomas and I had one, I had two of Enoch, I would scrape off mine Enoch and then copy your Thomas and I'd have both. <laughs> well, if you look at it through infrared thermography, you will find a frequency where the first ink is slightly different from the second ink and it will reflect differently. And you can tune out the top layer and see the bottom layer. And we're still finding stuff underneath, wow. underneath things. We're finding things. That's incredible. So, um, so we have the fallen angels. Uh, they came down, and they were uh, taking. And this is in Genesis. They were inserting themselves into the uh, daughters of of men. Is that what they call them? Yes. Yes. So they were inserting themselves with daughters of men, and obviously having this this offspring, uh, the Nephilim, the Elohim, and the giants. Uh, so then. This is where it gets weird, and this is what I love. Uh, the genetic experiments, the chimeras, hybridization. Can you touch a little bit about that when they started to experiment and started inserting themselves in animals, in, uh, in different beasts? And this is, this is why, uh, this is where I think uh, we get Bigfoot and all these different, uh, you know, crypto uh, zoological creatures which I feel that they're descendants of these Nephilim. And that's why when people are chasing a Bigfoot, it'll disappear because it might be what interdimensional, you know, it might have some sort of power that was handed down to them. You know what I mean? So can you talk a little bit about that, about the genetic experiments that they started to, uh, uh, you know, conduct um, 
and uh, talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I'll, I'll try. Um, <laughs> uh, so, again, I'm kind of going to get off of Enoch here a little bit, but it, it all it all kind of comes back. Um, so, in in the book of Jasher, and by the way, the uh, the the Mormon Church, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints, holds the book of Jasher in high regard, and uh, says that it is uh, absolutely worth reading. So in Jasher 4.18, it talks about gene splicing. It talks about, uh, so these, these angels have come down, the watchers have come down, they're teaching mankind how to, uh, how to mix animals. And, and so we, we not only have uh, human genetic uh, processes going on with the Elio and the giants and, and the, uh, the Nephilim, uh, but you also have gene splicing going on where they are combining animals. Now, <clears throat> you might want to say that this is a, a way of them explaining away the Greco-Roman harpies and centaurs and minotaurs and things like that. Or you could look at it the other way around and say the centaurs and minotaurs and harpies and all of the things that are reported in the Greco-Roman uh, pantheon are actually the real thing that's being described in Jasher and Enoch in those books, because um, religion cross-pollinates. It borrows things from other religions, as we've seen in our own Christianity with the Christmas tree and the Easter egg and mm-hmm. the whole thing. Uh, nothing is uh, Nothing springs to life by itself. It's always informed by the generations before. Now we can go back and say, look, we've even discovered the fact that uh, the first worshiping uh, of uh, Yahweh looks like it comes from a Canaanite uh, mining uh, town, and that it turns out to be that he is a god of miners that caught on and uh, and was brought forth. That doesn't mean that God doesn't exist. It just means that our description of him is borrowed from different cultures and it comes forward like that. So when the gene splicing occurs, the scriptures say, and I'll use the word scriptures loosely, okay, canon or non-canon, that this is the thing that pushed God over the edge, that, that they defiled the earth with all of these odd creatures. So I want you to stop and think about something just a moment. Why was El so ticked off because they were combining these creatures? Why was he so angry at the Watchers? Um, There's a thing called the Axial Age. Uh, Somewhere around 800 BC it occurred. Until that point, we were just animalistic we when we worship god we would kill things or people or whatever and everything was external we were living in a particular way and then all of a sudden within just a thousand years which is a blink of an eye we had zoroaster and buddha and confucius and jesus and all of these great men that all of a sudden the world woke up to an internal landscape and we became spiritual creatures I believe that 
this whole thing has been a genetic test, uh, a laboratory run by L and the group. And when the watchers came down, they messed up the line. They messed up the purity of the experiment. They, they put their input into an experiment that was supposed to be uh, run in a pure linear timeline. We are still seeing the advancements from that, whether it be Bigfoot, zoocryptology, like you said, so the, the unknown animals that are out there, mm. or the fact that we as a society woke the hell up in a heartbeat. We went from living in caves to building uh, pyramids in a blink of an eye. And then we went from external uh, bloodthirsty worshipers of some uh, nebulous god to internal spiritual beings seeking uh, escape from the confines of our own mind. It, it's an amazing thing. We, we see that throughout history, Joseph. Uh, you know, you're talking about how these texts borrow from other texts. You know, that, that is true. You know, you have... Uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh, you have, uh, you know, Atrahasis, you know, it's the same thing as, as the Noah, you know, uh, yeah. that, that story, um, you know, you have all these different uh, stories of creation, and essentially they all say the same thing. Um, and then, you know, what you're talking about, uh, and, and, and the reason I say we see this throughout uh, history Again, going back to that Gnostic belief that the God of the Old Testament, Yahweh, this evil, cruel, jealous God, you know, sacrifice your kids. You know, the firstborn sons are going to get killed. Uh, child sacrifice, child sacrifice, this darkness, you know, the, the, the Old Testament, that dark. And then what I mentioned to you before, you see these figures all throughout history, throughout these different uh all these different sides of the world, you know, have Mesoamerica, you have ancient Mesopotamia, uh, uh, Egypt, you have these same figures all throughout those different civilizations. Um, and again, uh, Mesoamerica, uh, uh, the Aztecs, the Mayans, all these, this human sacrifice uh, to, to what? To, to honor their gods, whatever. You know, the Aztecs, they, <laughs> they killed people by the, by the thousands, yeah, they uh, sacrifice themselves practically out of existence. <laughs> yeah, per, yeah, exactly. Uh, and again, the same cycle uh, uh, that we see, you know. Um, and again, if what they call the Anunnaki, uh, you know, uh, I believe Anunnaki means those who came from above or from the heaven, something like that. If they were these fallen angels, these lieutenants, um, if they were or were not. I mean, what, right. what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think you're right. Um, I, I believe we can prove this even within the scriptures because, honestly, we read the Bible, but we don't really read the Bible. You know, we, <laughs> it's a nice story, and we kind of skip through it. But if you were to take a look at Deuteronomy 32, um, it says, Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your fathers, and they will show you your elders when they tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, 
when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the people according to the numbers of the sons of God. And the Lord, the Yahweh's portion, is his people, and Jacob is his allotted inheritance. Well, what that means is God, meaning El, the, the head guy, took the world, the known world at the time, and he divided it. Just exactly like the Catholic Church did many years ago to Japan, if you recall, and went, well, this is a new world. We'll give Japan to the highest bidder. It is, uh, oh, Portuguese. Okay, we'll give it to the Portuguese. That's what happened, uh, according to this scripture, to the world. These, these sons of God looked to their leader, and their leader said, you can have that people, you can have that people, you can have that mm -hmm. people. We'll set the borders and the lieutenants, as you call them. They will rule their people as gods. That's why they have the similar the similar aspects to them. And yes. Whether the same or, or, or not, I, I do believe that. So, um, L, this, this person, this, this entity that you're calling, he gets angry with the with the watchers you know because they were they were set up to to supervise they were the supervisors and they went ahead and they fell to temptation and they said you know we want that we want to experience that uh, yes. you know the daughters of men are beautiful we want to do whatever with them what happens after that joseph when when, when he gets angry with them well, uh, when he gets angry with them, that apparently is where the flood comes in. The um, problem is, how in the world do you kill kill a spiritual being? You you can't do it. Uh, there there is one apocryphal text that says that there was a actually a giant that held on to the hull of the ark and uh, survived that way. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the Bible says that uh, you know there were giants in the days and afterwards, and I don't know why people skip over that and afterwards, but they do. They they think, well, there's giants in the days of Noah, but the Bible actually says and afterwards. Yeah, well, you got David and Goliath, no? Yes, you've got David and Goliath. So what do you have? You you have uh, tales throughout the the world here and there of these red-headed, cannibalistic, polydactyl beings. So, um, you know, uh, one, of the, one of the signs of, of giantism goes back to, uh, I suppose, to the story of uh, Goliath and all of his six, I think it was, brothers and his mother, uh, the giants of Gath. They were all polydactyl. They all had more than five fingers on each hand, five toes on each foot. They had uh, six or more, and uh, it was apparently one of the signs. There's a really odd, uh, I forget exactly who wrote this particular uh, thesis, but uh, he postulates that the American Indians, how they raised their hands as they walked toward or rode toward another, uh, was a, uh, a sign that says, I am not polydactyl. I am not uh, a giant. <laughs> I come in peace. I'm not going to eat you or kill you. I thought that was kind of interesting that it drifts all the way over to the American Indians. 
That is very interesting. And and so we have this these Nephilim and, and these giants. Uh, we 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 spoke about the Dead Sea Scrolls. How does the Book of Giants play into this? Because I know it mentions and there it mentions a name of uh, this god king from uh, ancient uh, you know Mesopotamia. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so we have to decide really if we're cross-pollinating or we're actually just repeating the same thing or you know on the same uh, it's the same uh, uh, page and verse, so to speak. So, so the book of Enoch was written somewhere around uh, two to three hundred, uh, and, and some people think it's as uh, late as 150 A.D. And it turns out that this book of giants was written about the same time, about 150 A.D. So uh, they, they actually are being written about the same time. Now, I am one of those that think that the book of giants actually belonged in the book of Enoch. Um, and, and it fits really, really very well within the first book called the book of the watchers. So if you take, because Enoch is made up of, of several sections, if you take the oldest section, which is the Book of the Watchers, one of my books literally places the Book of Giant right back into where it belongs within the Book of Watchers, within the Book of Enoch. So you have nests of literature within nests of literature. And within that, uh, you're reading along, and uh, it, it's kind of, uh, we don't have the whole text. We it's it's uh, it's damaged, so we're reading along as best we can. And all of a sudden, this name pops up. Now, in the Book of Giants, you have two giants that are basically having a conversation about <clears throat> the fact that uh, you know they they feel like the end is coming and God's about to get them. So they they call on Enoch to be a liaison. Uh, between them and God, and they're they're trying to uh, broker a peace, and, and basically God says, "No, I'm going to kill you." But in the in the middle of this, we have this statement. It says that Gilgamesh, one of the giants, proclaims that despite his great strength and courage and his ability to kill any human on the planet, he could not withstand the heavenly host that's about to come. We also find out that uh, Gilgamesh is the son of Azazel or Azazel. And, and so the book of giants really kind of puts this into focus that um, this has happened. God is exceedingly ticked. He's about to send Raphael. Raphael's involved in this. Uh, and, uh, and he's sending messages to and from uh, Enoch. And he's telling these guys, there'll be no peace. You're going to die, and all your children are going to die. Prepare for it. Now, it's interesting that as it goes along, because you really can't kill a, uh, a heavenly being, he takes uh, Azazel and puts him under stone in a cave. And, uh, and he keeps him there. But Gilgamesh is mentioned as one of the uh, one of the offspring, which I believe Gilgamesh is not necessarily a giant. He could be, but he's also a Elio. He's an he's a godling. He's a demigod. 
and it all ties together. It's very interesting, and it pulls in the Mesopotamian uh, legends and gives them a direct correlation to the fallen angels. Well, I mean, some of the books in the Bible did plagiarize some some of the oh, yeah. stories from from them. Yeah. <laughs> um. So when uh. God tries to, or the spigger tries to destroy these things. Uh, that's when you say that the body was destroyed, but the spirits, because uh, I think it's, who is it? Is it, I forgot what scientist or physicist says that, you know, energy can't be destroyed. It can only be, you know, transformed. I don't know if it's Albert Einstein or, oh, no, look it up. Like. Thermal, it's one of the laws of thermal dynamics. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah uh, that's, that's very true. So, uh, it, and this gets kind of interesting. We, we look back into the Old Testament and we look at where these guys came from. And they're in this particular area of, of, of the Middle East. And uh, it happens to be the same area in the Middle East that uh, the prophet Samuel sent Saul into to kill everything living. And Saul didn't do it. Saul brought back these uh, animals and the king as a sacrifice to God. And Samuel gets incredibly angry. I mean, just over the top angry. And, um, and basically he, he takes Saul's power authority away from him. And you kind of wonder what's going on there. Well, that's the place that the fallen angels were. And the theory is that they could inhabit about anything. So you go through and you kill everything that's living, everything that's breathing, everything that walks, everything that moves, and you leave no body for them to inhabit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I do not know what the, I mean, the, the, the books say that when they come out of the body, they are incredibly angry they are enraged and they go to and from tormenting men and if that's not a demon i don't know what is so it's a perfect example but the jinn they call it the the jinn at at that point in the middle east they called it a jinn yes yeah yeah that's uh, and then we get you know speaking of of david and goliath you know you could fall you could follow that you know to solomon king solomon and uh, the things that they said about him with the occult, yeah, uh, with Solomonic magic, and yeah, the of <laughs> and yeah. how, on how he used the demons to build the temple of Jerusalem. <laughs> it's some some very interesting things because these these things the bodies could be killed, but the spirits cannot. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very very interesting, and um. Yeah, you know, and what you mentioned earlier about when we read the Bible, we don't read the Bible. And my problem with that is that, you know, when, when you go to church, if church, if if they told me, listen, Pastor Joseph today is going to be having a, 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 a sermon about the book of Enoch and the giants and the watchers, you'd bet your ass I'd be there that day because this is super interesting, you know, but, but they don't. No. So... Uh, you know, we read bits and pieces of it. And then another another problem that I have with the Bible is that, or, or with church, um, 
what well, with the Bible, the different translations, Joseph. And what what are your thought? What are your what's your input on that? That you know, obviously you have the original Greek text. No, uh, we, no. Let me stop you there. That that's that's not true. Really, uh, we have five thousand pieces of codices. More than that, actually, not a single one of them agree. Um. So let's let's kind of let's kind of uh, reframe this. When someone says, "Well, it's in the original Greek," I want to go, "Well, what codices? What codex are you using?" Mm-hmm. There's Vaticanus. There's uh, you know the uh, Texas Receptus. There's dozens of others. Uh, Nestles uh, that uh, the NIV uses. Uh, well, that's my that's my exact point, Joseph. That there's so many different translations yeah. and all these different versions. How do you know which is the real one? Well, <clears throat> you don't. What you what you can do <laughs> is you you group these things like they are family trees, and it's a little bit too simplistic to say. The farther back you go, the more uh, the the less error you have. That's true if you group it in a in a grand way. If you look at the whole thing, then the farther back you go, the less uh, the less time for error and the less uh, uh, opportunity for error you have because the less times it's copied. But we we <laughs> let me give you an example. Um, and this is recently, but the fact that it is recent means that uh, it, it kind of drives the point home. Sitting in uh, uh, Branson, Missouri, we'll take that one because that's just right down the road here, uh, is something called the Adulterer's Bible. Um, <clears throat> it's called the Adulterer's Bible because they left out a word. It says, Thou shalt commit adultery. Uh, so uh, what happened was that the publishing company in uh, 18, or I'm sorry, 1631, Robert Baker, I think his name was, was a, a printer and a publisher. And uh, he was asked by the king to put these Bibles out and he left out a word. And there's only about four of them left, but it it kind of goes mm. to the point of, of you know, can we can we trust the Bibles? Well, there's dozens of these Bibles that have dozens of these uh, uh, errors, and then you have different codices and the witnesses they call them. the The general term for uh, a document is a witness. So you have these witnesses that are older and older. So uh, let's let's just look at it this way: take the King James, which is a Textus Receptus. We know it has errors in it because it's not the oldest. We know that that scribes tend to add to or change instead of take away. So if a text has less than another text, we consider it to be probably older and probably more reliable. So you open up the Bible to the Lord's Prayer, and you look at the last verse, which is called the doxology. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It is a phenomenal, moving verse that does not exist in the old witnesses. Wow. And that is why when you open up the uh, 
I don't know, the NIV, it won't be there. And again, that's that's my problem with all this, uh, Joseph. You know, I I believe in that higher power. I believe that there is something that created everything. But at this point, I don't know what it, <laughs> what it is. And, you know, there is a mystical comprehension to all this as well as a literal comprehension and you have people who live and die by the bible yeah yeah. but then it's like you like you've mentioned before our understanding of the bibles is not the same understanding that they have all the way on the other side of the world even though it's the same religion and then on top of that you have uh you have catholics and then a bunch of different types of Catholics under that. You have Christians, you have Pentecostals, you have Baptists, you have all these different types of Christians. And, you know, we can't all be right uh, at the end of the day. Denominations usually come from someone's fixation on a particular series of verses, and and so they they make those very important to their understanding, and they spin off a denomination— just down the road here is uh, Cleveland, Tennessee. It's the home of at least two denominations, the Church of God of Prophecy and the Church of God of Cleveland, Tennessee. And they were spun off by brothers who had a disagreement. Much wow. the same way as the little <laughs> towns of, uh, of Palmerdale and Rimlap were spun off by two brothers right down the road here from where I live because Palmer, uh, one of the brothers got ticked off, and uh, the, the story goes, when he looked in his rearview mirror, Palmer spelled backwards was Rimlap. So he named his town Rimlap. <laughs> um, people, you know, they, we, we just do not have the capacity for harmony. I don't know why, but uh, we, we so become so fixated. When, when the problem is this, you know, and, and Christ said this, just just love your brother. Just be kind. Seek God. Love your brother. The rest is commentary. Mm-hmm. So we can, you know, we can go back and um, uh, we, we push Christianity back to a point that it becomes Jewish. We took, take Judaism and we push it back and it becomes uh, fed by Canaanite and Philistine uh, and the, and uh, we, we find that uh, the, the Canaanite uh, god El is a, uh, a war god. Uh, his symbol is a bull. We find out that uh, Yahweh is part of his pantheon because Baal and uh, a, a great group of others was, the, was part of the pantheon of, of gods under the great god El, and they were his sons. And uh, and you have fights within uh, these 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 belief systems. There were worshippers of Baal, and there were worshippers of Yahweh, and they hated each other, much like uh, Islam and Christianity does today, or uh, the Sunnis and the and the Shia, or the Protestants and the Catholics years ago. Um, because of these these differences and so in the in the middle of the bible all of a sudden you have uh curses against baal and stories about um about baal and uh and yahweh's prophets battling each other and yahweh's prophets coming out on top 
because Yahweh's prophets were the ones writing the book. Um, but they were both pantheons, uh, uh, members of the pantheon and, and uh, offspring of the god El, according to Canaanite uh, uh, folklore. Yeah, and you got this again in Greek, Greek mythology as well, the conflicts between all of the... Uh... <laughs> The different gods and stuff like that uh um so and again correct me if i'm wrong from what under from i'm from what i'm understanding because i've heard this theory before uh i actually i'm going to be doing an episode with another individual who looks into esoterica and iconography and stuff like that of the bible and he goes as far well he interprets what he's read as uh to go as far and obviously you know that there's different beliefs as to what god is you know you have you have it'll go as far as uh god was a mushroom <laughs> you know like these different beliefs and from what you're telling me because uh, we haven't touched on this and this is i wanted to wrap up with this where does satan come in to all of uh all of this because obviously we see satan as this ruler of the underworld or whatever you want to call it hell you know this prime figure where does he tie into all this because what you're telling me is that they were they were brothers uh yahweh and and el is that is that what you were yahweh you were yahweh was uh the the offspring of el according to canaanite uh, uh history folklore theology whatever you want to call it so mm -hmm. it was all um <clears throat> so if we roll if we roll our belief system back to the time of Job, which is one of the first books written in the scriptures, we find that Satan, Lucifer, was actually just carrying out orders. He was, he was a minion. He was just uh, another angel. He was a foot soldier. Uh, nothing, nothing, you know, unusual. Uh, he was kind of like, uh, a, let's call him a purifier. He, he was the one that kind of put you through the ordeal and uh, proved your, uh, your devotion or not. But he was an agent of God working under God's authority. And, uh, and he remained that way until we began to get into Zoroastrian influence where the world was divided uh, between good and evil, it became binary. It was never binary until then because God was, in, in that early theology, uh, he was the agent of both good and evil. Anything that happened came from God, whether it be good or bad. It, it, was, it was just all from God. But somehow in our tiny little brains, we decided that we couldn't have a God that was both good and evil. Of course, it's our perception of what's good and evil because we're mm -hmm. a microsecond of the timeline. So Zoroastrianism has a split universe of good versus evil, and we, we kind of adopted that, and we placed Satan as the agent of evil. And soon after that, he kind of evolved um, in our way of thinking to almost – equal to God. Now, if you think about it, that's kind of blasphemous, really, but that's where we have him today is, you know, he can force us to do anything. The devil made me do it. He is uh, 
he, he is the agent of all evil and uh, well, we get well, into the Gnostic dualistic view of things Joseph yeah. uh, when you when you talk about that uh, you know this this good and then the evil and then the Gnostics even go uh, as far as to say that we were created by this this Satan figure out Yalta Boath this this evil uh, from his, again from his powers of being uh, divine you know mm. when when Sophia gave birth to him obviously that divinity went down uh, you know uh, into into him as well and then the archons you know his posse they, they all said hey let's make man <laughs> you know uh, you have the anthropos and then they wanted you know the flesh the the, the slave whatever they wanted to do uh, very interesting stuff Joseph very very interesting. So when you consider that the book of Job was written probably around 6th century BCE, it, it um, very much predates the Gnostic stuff. And the Gnostics, I think, borrowed heavily from the fact that uh, Zoroastrianism had, mm -hmm. had kind of infiltrated everything. I, I tend to reject that. I, I believe that the majority of evil comes directly from us. You know, we are our own worst enemy. And we are... Uh, you know, we, we are part of God. He is part of us. We have that divine spark. We are inspired. That means that we have been breathed into. We, we have the capacity to create, which means that we also have the capacity to destroy and uh, uh, mutilate. And I think that that's where we are right now, and we, we should wake up. Yes, yes. Uh, dare I say we are in a... And an experiment, a simulation, how you said earlier, almost uh, the simulation-like thing that the watcher started to mess with. <laughs> I like that idea. Um, so, Joseph, we'll wrap up with that. Where can you say your uh, your website again? I actually have the encyclopedia uh, that I'm going to be buying on Amazon to add to my collection. Oh, uh, thanks for supporting the cause. Definitely. I, I, I want to thank you for your time. And again, yeah. can you tell the people where they can find your work? Because uh, you've written, uh, you've compiled numerous uh, <laughs> books on this topic. I love this sort of thing. I could talk about this for hours. Uh, where we, can they find your work once more? We have uh, the main website is apocryphalbooks.org. And you will find Audible and best-selling books and all kinds of paperbacks and hardbacks there. Well, Joseph, I want to thank you again so much. Uh, very, very interesting stuff. I love it. I love it. I love it. And again, we'll have to again, sometime when our our lives uh, uh, <laughs> can yeah. open up enough to do it. Yeah. 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 Definitely. Well. Uh, you can come back on whenever you want. We can talk about this. Uh, again, I could, I could talk about this for hours and, uh, it's one of my favorite, favorite topics to talk about. Um, it's been a pleasure and we've just scratched the surface as you know, so there's more to talk about whenever you want. And I appreciate uh, your invitation, uh, greatly. Thank you. Thank you, Joseph. Well, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, that was, uh, Dr. Joseph Lumpkin. Make sure to check out his work. On Amazon, check out his website if you're interested in this type of stuff. Remember to follow us on social media at the Juan on Juan podcast. Shoot me an email if you want to be on the show. If you have anything interesting to talk about, the Juan on Juan podcast at gmail.com. 
Also remember to like, subscribe, whatever it is, share the podcast with anyone you may know. Every little bit helps. And until next time. (laughs) 